Volume Three, Chapter Two of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Volume Three, Chapter Two, Mrs. Peck. In a poor-looking room of a small wayside public house, about twenty miles out of Adelaide were seated one evening, shortly after Brandon's departure of the Murray, a man and a woman, neither of them young or handsome or respectable-looking. If they had been so once, they had outgrown them all. The woman certainly had what is called the remains of a fine woman about her, but her face had so many marks of care, of evil passions, and of irregular living, that it was perhaps more repulsive than if it had been absolutely plain in features. Her dress was slatternly and ill-fitting, her grey hair untidily gathered under a dingy black cap, with bright, though soiled, yellow flowers stuck in it. Her eyes, which had some brightness, had a fierce, hungry expression, and the very hands, thin and long, and with overgrown nails, had less the appearance of honest work than of dishonest rapacity. The man was a rougher-looking person, more blackguardly, perhaps, in appearance, but not so dangerous. He had been at the nearest post-office, and brought a letter addressed to Mrs. Peck, which the woman tore open and read with impatient eagerness. "'This is from Mr. Talbot at last,' said the man. "'Long looked for, come at last. I hopes as how it is worth waiting for.' "'Worth waiting for,' said she, stamping on the letter with her foot, and standing up, with such a look of frenzy that her companion moved a little out of the way. "'Hang him and his clients, too. "'Won't this man come down with the ready, Liz? Does he send to make inquiries? A cool hand, cooler than the old man.' won't out with the blunt till he knows what he's paying for. "'It's not about him at all,' said Mrs. Peck. "'Not a word has he ever said, good or bad, taken no notice of my letters, no more nor if I had not been such a mother to him. I should have had an answer to my second letter by this time, and I know it was directed all right. He must have got them both. I'll have it out of him, though. I'll have my revenge as sure as I'm a living woman.' "'Don't go into such a Scot, woman.' "'Then if it is not from young Cross Hall, what has that lawyer said to put you into such a tantrum?' "'Oh, just a request to keep on this side of the border, or he'll not warrant my getting a farthing out of Phillips. He offers three pounds a quarter more if I don't show my face in Melbourne. Such a beggarly sum it is, after all. To think that I should only have two children, and them turning out such ungrateful cubs to me.' Two children, Liz,' said the man with a sneer. "'Well, if I was Phillips, I'd like to keep you at a civil distance, just at present.' "'for you look as like to brain him as not. "'There's the both of them rolling in wealth. "'Frank got all Cross Hall's property and all through me, "'and Betsy, with her London establishment and her carriage, no doubt, "'and her children dressed like duchesses, and herself, too, "'and look at me!' "'Well, just look at you, Liz. "'I fancy that the sight of you would do them no credit. "'You're well enough off with Phillips. "'I think this is a very handsome offer. "'Though we're both sick of Adelaide, we can stop here a bit longer.' at least till we can see our way clear to get out of it. Do you think I don't care for my liberty? And I hate the Adelaide side. It was all your doings coming across here at all, and a precious mull you've made of it. I fancy they must be thinking of coming back to Melbourne from this notice to me to keep out of the way. And do you think I don't want to see my own daughter? Did I not put her in the way of all her good fortune? Did I not dress her the day she first saw Phillips, and did she not look like an angel?' and he was spoon enough to marry her, which was more than either you or me expected. As for the girl, she was glad enough to go away from you. You never cared so much for her. Did I not, when I saw she was growing up so handsome and a credit to me? 
"'Yes, yes, we both wanted to make our own of her, and I think we did not do amiss considering,' said Peck. "'We've had bad luck in Adelaide, but things may change. Money goes farther here.' "'Money never goes far with us,' said Mrs. Peck, "'and Melbourne is the place where we can get on best. If I had Frank's money, which I must and shall get out of him somehow, we could manage to rub along here, but without it we never could. The black-hearted scoundrel, not to send me a farthing, me, who could—' "'You had better threaten him with what you can do in your next letter. "'I always thought that style of working the oracle would pay best, "'but perhaps the motherly affectionate dodge was the best to try first. "'Threaten him in your next.' "'I don't think I'll condescend to threaten him. "'I don't care to save him from what he deserves for his shameful ingratitude to me. "'I could make better terms with Cross Hall's nieces than I could do with Frank. "'Surely they would give me more for my secret than he would do to keep me quiet.' They were left beggars, I know, and the estate is worth a great deal to them. Hang it, Mrs. Peck, that's a glorious idea, but don't be too hurried about it in your movements. You don't care about your own share in the business being known, said Peck. I care for nothing, if I could only get my revenge on him, and if I could only get as much out of the Melville girls as would allow me to snap my fingers at Phillips. I would rather relish publishing my connection with him. I would like to bring Betsy down a peg. "'There's where you always make a mull of it, Liz. Your infernal temper always gets the better of you. Revenge and spite are very good things in their way, but I don't see that they pay. I think you would be very mad to give up so much a year for the pleasure of vexing Phillips and Bessie, and as for the Melville girls, how are you going to get at them? There is not shot in the locker to take you to England, and letters are very risky things to write. You're sure to let out more than is safe, and if you let out too little the girls will see no advantage in it.' "'I hate letters,' said Mrs. Peck moodily. "'But I would like to get at the girls by word of mouth.' As this interesting pair were engaged in conversation, a traveller of a very different description alighted at the door of the inn, and requested lodgings for the night. He was well-dressed and respectable-looking. He was probably as old as either of them, but his face and air gave tokens of a quieter life and a calmer temper. His horse was knocked up, so that he could not go on to a larger and better-appointed inn than this— which was five miles nearer town. But when he saw the name over the door and his host and hostess, he was reconciled to the inferior accommodation. But he rather objected to the company that he found in the inn parlour, and did not seem pleased with the proposal that he should take supper with them. "'Oh, Mr. Dempster,' said the host, "'I fancy you have got nice since you were in England. These people are decent enough, I reckon, though rather down in their luck, like some others of us.' I wish I had such a house to receive you in as that I built on the road. I had plenty of rooms there, but, you see, it was not licensed, and I was ruined, at least brought down to this. "'Well, Franklin, I suppose I must submit,' said Mr. Dempster. "'As you say, you have no other place for me. But I would never have thought these were particularly decent people.' Whether from spiritual influences or not, Mr. Dempster felt a great repugnance to this man and woman. The influence might have been partly spirituous, for there was a considerable fragrance of strong liquor about them both. In spite of the unpromising appearance of the house, the hostess produced a very tempting-looking supper for hungry people. She sat herself down to make tea for the company, and was delighted to see Mr. Dempster, and to have a little talk with him about old colonists and old times. She was a very old colonist herself, and had known many ups and downs, generally in the same line of life. Active, civil, and much enduring, she was an admirable hostess, but her husband was rather idle and speculative, and had invested the savings of many years in the erection of a large hotel in a place where, 
In the opinion of the bench of the magistrates it was not wanted, and the license was refused. So they had come down in the world in consequence, and had taken this small inn where they could just make ends meet. Mrs. Franklin missed the old customers who used to call, and felt this visit from Mr. Dempster something like a revival of old days, and asked him as to the changes he saw in Adelaide, and as Mr. and Mrs. Peck were Melbourne people, who did not know anything about the old colonists, Mr. Dempster spoke to her with freedom. "'You have been visiting your married daughter, I suppose,' said Mrs. Franklin. "'Yes, that is the first thing I had to do on my return. A fine family she is getting about her, I hear, but I have not seen her for a while. This house is not good enough for her to stay a night in.' "'Yes, she has a very fine family, another little fellow since I left Adelaide.' "'You must feel it lonesome now,' said the hostess. "'Yes, it is the way of the world, and one should not murmur at it. But yet a man must feel it very much when his only daughter, and one so much his companion as my girl was, chooses a home for herself, and surrounds herself with new ties and new cares.' "'You should see and get some one to take care of you,' said Mrs. Franklin cheerily. "'A pleasant, kindly body, not too young.' You must have met many such in England, who would have been glad of the chance. Yes, and who would have grumbled at the colony whenever she came out, and given me no peace till I took her home again. Now my business and my interests are all in South Australia. Besides, I like the young women best, and they would never look at an old fogey like me, so I must content myself with my memories of the past and my hopes for a future life. My home is not so lonely as you fancy it, Mrs. Franklin. Even here I feel the departed ones are near me. The veil that separates this world from the next is a very thin one, and if our intercourse with each other is less complete than in the days when we were together in the flesh, it is none the less real. I have become a spiritualist since I went to England. "'Of what?' asked the hostess. "'You must have heard of table-turning and all those strange manifestations.' "'La! Mr. Dempster, I never thought of you giving in to a pack of nonsense like that. I beg your pardon for my rudeness, but really you do surprise me.' What would you think of spirits who can read unseen letters, tell the names of persons whom none of the company know, find out the secrets of every one in the room? You recollect Tom Bean, who was lost in the bush twelve years ago, and more. His spirit appeared to me in London, and gave me a message to his old mother, to say he was expecting her soon, and the old lady did not live three months after. Well, that is strange, but I would be very hard to convince." But yet, Mr. Dempster, that is no reason why you should not get a nice tidy body to make you comfortable. The spirits would not surely begrudge you that. And so you had a pleasant voyage, and went round by Melbourne, so as to see all that was to be seen. Did any of the old colonists come out with you? We had a large party altogether, Mr. and his family, who had just been home to finish their education. And you admired the young ladies, of course, but really they are too young for you. Have they grown up handsome?' not particularly handsome, but very pleasant-looking. But if you talk of beauty, it was a Melbourne lady who bore off the palm on board ship. Unfortunately, she was married, and it would have been very improper to take a fancy to her. But Mrs. Phillips is superb. "'Mrs. Phillips of Wiriwilta,' said Mrs. Peck, eagerly. "'Yes, I fancy that is the name of the place. At least the children used to talk about it by that name. Mr. Phillips is a sheep-farmer on the Victoria side,' said Mr. Dempster. "'And you say she is handsome?' said Mrs. Peck. "'Perfectly beautiful, but uneducated and somewhat capricious. I fancy her face must have captivated her husband, who is a very intelligent, agreeable man. "'I suppose they are rich now?' said Mrs. Peck. "'Oh, very well to do, I fancy. I visited them a good deal when I was in London.' 
"'How many children have they?' asked Mrs. Peck. "'I knew them long ago.' "'They lost one with scarlet fever before they sailed. "'There were four on board ship, but there are five by this time, "'for Mrs. Phillips stayed in Melbourne for her confinement, "'and had a little boy within a week of landing.' "'Is her husband with her?' asked Mrs. Peck eagerly. "'Oh, no. I think Phillips went up to his stations. He had a number of things to see to.' "'What do you know about them?' asked Mr. Dempster, rather surprised at Mrs. Peck's curiosity. "'I was once in their employment at Wirriwilta, and Mrs. Phillips was uncommonly good-looking then. There was not so much style in those days as I suppose there is now.' "'Probably not. We have all had to work hard for what we have earned in these colonies, and Phillips must have made his way like the rest of us.' They had a very pretty little establishment in London. "'Keep their carriage, no doubt,' said Mrs. Peck, with a thinly disguised sneer. "'No, they did not. But if it's any satisfaction to you to know it, Mrs. Phillips has had a tour of the continent, and has had a lady's maid.' "'A lady's maid,' said Mrs. Peck. "'Well, well. And the children, I suppose, are being educated up to the nines. "'They took both the governess and the lady's maid with them to Melbourne,' said Mr. Dempster. "'They were sisters, and very superior young ladies.' In fact, to my taste, Mrs. Franklin, the lady's maid was more charming than the mistress, not so regularly handsome, but very lovely, while as to intelligence and refinement there was no comparison. If she had been a dozen of years older, I might have been a little presumptuous. "'Was this Mrs. Phillips so very far behind as that her maid was so superior to her?' asked Mrs. Franklin. "'It happened that these sisters were the young ladies of whom, even in these distant parts, you may have heard something.' who were brought up to inherit a large property in the south of Scotland, by a very eccentric uncle, who left everything he had to a son whom nobody had ever heard of before, and left the girls absolutely penniless. "'Was not their name Melville?' asked Mrs. Peck, eagerly and fiercely. "'Yes,' replied Mr. Dempster, astonished to find his chatty communications to his old friend Mrs. Franklin, taken up in this way by this unprepossessing-looking stranger. "'Yes, their name was Melville, and I never in my life met with more amiable, more intelligent, or better-principled girls.' "'I saw about it in the papers,' said Mrs. Peck, endeavouring to subdue her delight and exultation at the idea of the girls she wished so much to come in contact with, being so near her as Melbourne. I took a great interest in it. I like these romances of real life. And so Mrs. Phillips is up, and these girls are down, and glad to eat the bitter bread of service. It is very amusing.' Was Mrs. Phillips much taken up with them on account of their misfortunes? I do not know, said Mr. Dempster dryly. If you have served Mrs. Phillips, you will know she is not the same at all times. Then there was a large party of them on board, a servant, no doubt, and these two Melville girls and the children, said Mrs. Peck. There was also a sister of Mr. Phillips's, a rather fine woman, too, come out on a visit. And a fine lady, too, I dare say, said Mrs. Peck. Mr. Phillips holds his head pretty high. I warrant his sister and Mrs. Phillips would have some sparring. And the children are good-looking, I suppose. I saw none of them since the first was a baby. What are they like? They are very pretty children, and getting on well with their studies. The eldest Miss Melville is the most thoroughly cultivated woman I ever saw. Oh, leave Cross Hall alone for that, said Mrs. Peck. He was always crazy about education and that sort of thing. Cross Hall, said Mr. Dempster. I suppose you will say next that you know Francis Hogarth of Cross Hall— "'Member of Parliament for the Swinton Boroughs?' "'Member of Parliament, too,' said Mrs. Peck, with the same subdued fierceness, as when she first took Mr. Dempster up about the Melvilles. "'Member of Parliament! Ungrateful dog!' she said, under her breath, but her expression of vindictiveness was not altogether lost on Mr. Dempster. "'Oh, yes, I know him, 
or at least I know all about him. Nobody did know anything of him till he came into the property, you know, but I really know more about him than most folks. There are some people that would give their ears to know what I do, but there is a saying in the North where I was born, least said as soon as mended, at any rate, least said to them as it don't concern. If I had you at a séance, said Mr. Dempster, I could get all your secrets out of you, whether you liked it or not. Yes, Mrs. Franklin, I really could. I don't think it can be all right, said the timid hostess, who, though she was very fond of hearing the news, preferred to get them from living persons and not disembodied spirits. Mrs. Peck, you are talking nothing. I got bad news just before tea, and that took away my appetite. But I've got over that now, so I'll trouble you for a mutton-chop, Mr. Dempster. And Peck, just pass me the pickles, and be good enough to give me a hot cup of tea, Mrs. Franklin, for this one is as cold as a stone. So Mrs. Peck felt inclined to make up for lost time, and made a very hearty supper. She wound up with two glasses of brandy and water, hot, and she got Peck out of the way, for she wished to have a quiet talk with Mr. Dempster. Mr. Dempster was not disposed to encourage her confidence. Her strange inquiries about people, he had been greatly interested in, recalled the séance which had so much startled Francis Hogarth, and he suspected that this must be the person who had written a letter the spirit had been questioned about, and consequently that she was Hogarth's mother, no mother certainly to be proud of. The spirit said that her son ought to have nothing whatever to do with her, and Mr. Dempster was disposed to obey all spiritual communications. Besides this, all his instincts were strong against any intercourse with a woman so disreputable-looking, and with an expression of countenance alternately fierce and fawning. Now the fawning manner was put on. Mrs. Peck had an object in view. She wanted money to take her to Melbourne, and to take her immediately, and this easy-going, benevolent-looking Adelaide gentleman seemed to be the most likely victim she could meet with. She had long wished to see her daughter apart from her husband, and there never had been such a chance since she was married, and to get hold of one or both of the Melville girls at the same time was a conjunction of circumstances absolutely and marvellously favourable. Her last remittance from Mr. Phillips had been received a month before, and was spent as soon as it was got. Peck, with whose fortunes she had for many years connected herself, had not been lucky of late. He had come to Adelaide at race-time, and had not got on well with his bets. He had done a little in gambling, but had got into a sort of row at a low public-house, and been taken up and fined for being drunk and disorderly, and dismissed with a caution. So he had gone up to the sheep-shearing, and then had worked a little at the hay-harvest, and again at the wheat-harvest. He could work pretty hard at such times, and make good wages, but he had no turn for steady, regular work, and neither had she. If she had been in Melbourne, she could have borrowed the ten or twelve pounds needed for her passage-money, and a decent-looking outfit from people who knew her there, and guessed that she had some hidden means, either from friends or foes. But in Adelaide she was unknown except from her connection with Peck, which did not inspire confidence. This Adelaide gentleman had just come from London, and could know nothing about her, so she was determined to use her plausible tongue and get the money out of him. As Mr. Phillips said, she was possessed with the spirit of falsehood. She always had a disinclination to speak the truth, unless when it was very decidedly for her own interest to do so, or when she was enraged out of all prudence. So now, when she wanted to get an advance from Mr. Dempster, she forgot the agitation and the eagerness which she had shown about the Phillipses, the Melvilles, and the Hogarths, and opened up quite a new mine of anxiety and fears. Her secret, such as it was, should not be told to any one but the parties to whom it was valuable, and who would pay her handsomely for it, 
so she must now prevent this friend of the family from even guessing at what her schemes were. End of Volume 2, Chapter 3